Welcome to the podcast of Leeds First Methodist Church. We are so glad you decided to tune in with us today. The following sermon was preached by Pastor Chris, and it is the second sermon in our church's On Earth as in Heaven series. If you would like to watch the entire worship service, you can do so by visiting our website at leadsfirst.org, and at the top of the page, go to Worship and click Online Worship. Good morning, my name is Chris Stallings. It's my privilege to get to be pastor here at Leeds First Methodist Church. We're in part two of our series on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer, he prayed something like, may the kingdom of God come soon, may your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, living on earth as in heaven can feel like a contradiction in this fallen world, right? Like there's a lot of ugh in the world. But followers of Jesus are on God's mission to be a part of bringing kingdom of God, heaven, on earth. The way we model our lives, the way we live in character, and the way we bring the light of Jesus is meant to transform this broken world. Our key verse this series comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. And it reads, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so each week we're looking at some of the character traits of being a follower of Jesus that helps bring that about, even bit by bit, into this fallen world. Today, holy living. Holy living. Well, some of you know that I wasn't always a pastor, and I had a career before being a pastor in business, and part of that included a lot of traveling. I mean, a lot. There are some that were... Anyway, long times on the airlines. But there was a time when the pilot used to come on to the uh, loudspeaker in the plane. It says, this is your captain. We're about to depart for Philadelphia. If you're not going to Philly, you're on the wrong plane. It's time to get off. Anybody remember they used to do that? Well, after 9-11 and the, the security and the IDs, and they, you got to have a... a ID and a passport and everything just to get to the gate, let alone get on the plane. So it's not that important anymore. I don't know if they still say that. But I know they don't still say it on most trains and buses, right? Like, have you ever, anybody ever traveled by train in a, in a city? Or, no? Well, I traveled, one of my trips was to Brussels, Belgium. Anybody ever heard of Belgium? The waffle place, right? That's what you're at, waffles. Ooh, we should have that one Sunday. Uh, anyway, I was sidetracked. <laughs> went to Brussels, Belgium on an airplane and got there, and that's where I meant to go. And I had to take a train from Brussels to Korczyk, I think is how you say it, the city where I was going to be working. And I got off the plane and went to the bus, or excuse me, the train depot or station or whatever they called it, and looked up and got a ticket and the the conductor says, here's how you go and what you get to the, anyway, and I got there fine, right, I'm like, I got this, had my business meetings and some, a um, couple of days there, and whenever it came time to go back 
to Brussels Airport, I thought, I got this. You know? And so I went to the train station and said, I'm going to look for the number of the train I came in on. Whenever I find that, I'll just get on that same train. I won't even have to ask somebody how to get there. And so I did. I don't remember what number it was. Let's say 13. I get on train 13 and thinking it'll just take me right up to the airport and drop me off. Well, it didn't work like that. They didn't have somebody saying, this is going to the airport, this is going somewhere. And it took about 45 minutes to get to the airport. And so after 45 minutes, I was like, well, let me start looking for it. About 15 minutes later, it's like, I didn't see the airport. About another 15 minutes later, I don't see no signs for airport, we're just going. And after about another 45 minutes, so like an hour and a half now, I go up to the conductor, and it's a different language, Belgium or whatever they speak. And I said, hey, where's the airport? When do we get there? And he goes, airport? And he motioned like way back yonder. You know, one of those motions. And I was like, what? Evidently, they put different trains on different routes, right? And they didn't announce where it was going. And so I got on one that went clear on the other side of the Brussels there. And I was, and he says, so what you got to do? And he was motion, and he spoke English to me. And he said, you got to get off here. You got to go across and you get on one. And he wrote down, here's the stops and where you transfer and you get there. Well, I don't remember if I made my flight or just had to get a hotel. But... I learned a lesson, right? I don't get to decide where the train is going. Right? I have a choice to get on the plane or the train, but once I do get on the plane, I'm going wherever the pilot says, right? Well, in our faith journey, as Methodists, we believe that everyone, 100% of people, get a choice as to whether or not they follow Jesus or not. And then you get a choice as to whether or not you stay on that journey of following Jesus or not. But if you follow Jesus, you don't get to pick the destination Jesus does. And as he prayed in our series, Key Verse, his destination is for our purpose to bring God's kingdom to earth. To have heaven on earth. For you to do God's will. In fact, the Bible says you, if you're following Jesus, are being set apart for God's very purpose of doing that. And the Bible refers to that as being holy or being set apart or living differently and being a part of something that's different than what the world's purposes are. Specifically, God's purposes. Now, if I said something like, God's holy. Many of you would be like, yeah, I can believe that. Now, some of you may be doubting if there is a God, if, if God is what he says. And so this is a place where you can do that. But most of you would probably say, yeah, I can buy God's holy. But if I said, you're to be holy, some of you would be like, whoa. One, you might not like it. You're like, I just kind of like living how I want to live. I want to pick the destination. And some of you are like, I don't even know it's possible. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, But now 
You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. So what does it mean to be holy? If you're on this path of following Jesus and you want to stay on that path, what does it look like when you pursue the path of holiness? Let's look now to the Bible, what it might say to us in that questions, response. We got a Bible, I invite you to turn it on or open it to Romans, the book of Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. I'll remind you, we've been in Romans for a, a couple of months now. Romans was a letter written by the Apostle Paul in about the middle of the first century to the Christians that were in the city of Rome. I think he was probably in Turkey at the time. Modern day Turkey, they didn't call it Turkey then. He's writing and laying out the righteousness of God and how humanity has left that but now can return to that by our faith in Jesus. And then in chapter 13, he begins opening up about what it means to live that way. And one of the things he intersects with is, hey, how do you live in a culture, in a government, or under a government that's not directly of God? He says, you got to respect the authority, right? So if they're saying do this and don't do that, you got to live that way. Right? And says, they're trying to do good. You even have to, get this, uh, pay taxes. <laughs> kind of like today, the church people are like, oh, what are you saying? i got to pay taxes to some ungodly authority? And said, yes. Right? If they're for justice, they're for you. And you can't say, hey, I'm going to live like the devil and blame it on them. Right? It says, pay your taxes. And then he gets into this shift in verse 8 about living a holy life, even in a culture or under a government that has maybe a varying definition of morality. Let's read now, Romans 13, beginning in verse 8. I'll be reading the New Living Translation, if you want to follow along word for word. The words should also be on the screen. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in the one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Verse 11, this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up! For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties or drunkenness or sexual promiscuity or immoral living or even in quarreling or jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. This is the word of God for the people of God and we say, 
Thanks be to God. Well, in verse 10, is a kind of key to this passage where it says love fulfills the law. But for us to understand how love fulfills the law, we've got to take a glance back to the law. Right? The law was given to Moses many centuries earlier in what we call the Old Testament. Like the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. And it was meant when God was saying, I'm going to set apart these people, the Hebrew people, to be a part of bringing God's salvation to the world. And as part of setting them apart, he says, here's how you must live. Some of those laws were just how to organize them as a group or as a nation, how to live and not die. And some of them were moral commands of God that were preserved even until today. The Bible Dictionary of Theological Terms says that holiness or holy is meaning to be set apart. Refers to a variety of people or objects throughout the Bible, but ultimately points to God as the one who is qualitatively different or set apart from creation. Holy may also refer to someone who is set apart for God's special purposes. In the New Testament, holy takes on the sense of freedom from sin. Understood as God's otherness and purity. As God's prerogative to set people and things apart for his own purposes. So if we're going to pursue holiness or be like God, we're going to love as God commands and then live out the commands of God. Right? The Old Testament, if you look to Exodus 20, it talks about what those commands were. This was the Ten Commandments. You've heard these. Right? Don't. What are they? Y'all remember these? Things like keep the Lord's day. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't worship idols. The first four of those were basically focused on your love for God. And then the next six start talking about how you're to interact with each other. Right? Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery, don't covet, don't lie. And Jesus summed these up in Matthew 22 when he says the greatest commandment is to love God, that's the first four, and to love your neighbor as yourself, that's the next six. And so he said if you'll love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself, you'll do those things naturally. So the question becomes... What kind of love of God and love of neighbor fulfills the law? And what kind of love, loving God, loving others, leads you to a holy life? Let's look now at this passage, to the specifics of holy living. Why and how? If you've got a worship bulletin or if you open up the online worship guide, there's a place for you to follow along with these take notes Fill in the blanks and apply it to your life here and as you go today. Number one, holy living removes sin. Removes sin. Verse 12, the second part says, So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Holiness absolutely seeks to eliminate your sin. No doubt 
That's where this train's going. God wants sin eliminated from your life. And if you continue in your sin, you will not be holy. Last week, I talked a little bit about getting to work on my wife's Explorer SUV. Anybody ever worked on cars? Anybody ever seen somebody that worked on cars? You can't work on cars without getting dirty, right? You know what I'm talking about. Like I even had these gloves that are like mechanics gloves where you can do stuff with them, but they're supposed to keep your hands from getting dirty so my hands would be all nice and like when I serve communion, it looks pretty good, <laughs> right? I still had to, after working on it, I took my gloves off. I was like, what? So I had to use that mechanic soap that you get in there and scrub, 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 get all my, they look all right. Then my clothes. I was like, I'm going to try to be careful and not just get it all over my clothes, right, when I'm working on it. I not only got it on my front side, I got it on my back side. Somehow I got it on my inside, right? I mean, it was just everywhere. I had to be careful because whenever I came in, my wife and daughter, they love me. I know they do. They're like, ooh, you know, or don't sit on the, right, or don't get in my car looking like that, right? And so the only option I had was to take all those clothes and put them in the water and get in the shower for an hour to get all that off of me. I can't even think about working on cars without getting grease on my hands, right? Similarly, you can't play with sin without getting sin on you. Right? You, you want to sometimes, right? The temptation is, oh, I can dab a little bit in it. Get rid of those activities that cause you to sin. Get rid of the relationships that are dragging you down. That's how serious Jesus was about sin. Matthew 18 Verse 8 and 9, so if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot and to be thrown into eternal fire with both your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. I don't know if Jesus is really saying pluck your eye out, but he's saying there's going to be times your hand causes you sin, your eye causes you sin, relationships, these activities. Get rid of them. It's much better for you to be holy as God invites you to be holy than to have a hand if it caused your downfall. Sometimes we'll fool ourselves and say, well, I'm trying to be an influence into those people's lives. Are you? That's good, but if they're dragging you down, you've told this to your kids, right? Right, if they're bright, br dragging you down, leave them behind. Your obligation is first to God's holiness in your life, and then whenever you can endure the temptation, you might be a holy, redeeming presence into those lives, but if you can't be, don't let it ruin you. Holy living removes sin. Number two, holy living immersed 
in Christ. Immerse in Christ. Verse 14, the first part says, Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bible teaches, even early in Romans chapter 7, that whenever we try not to sin of our own will, it will often lead us to even more temptation, right? Paul's talked about when I try not to do the thing I'm not supposed to do, it just causes me to do more of it. Anybody ever been there? Like, I'm not going to think about doing that thing. I'm not going to think, oh, I'm just thinking about doing that thing, right? I had on my image... On the bulletin on the slides, this image of a, I guess it's a target or maybe a dart board. Anybody ever shot arrows or thrown darts? Y'all know the concept, right? Now, if you're the archer and you're shooting at the target and you come in and you're like, oh, I'm missing it. Can't hit the target. You might try to do some corrections to make it where you can hit the target. Right? You might say, oh, I need to adjust my sights. Like some of you got a fancy bow. So I'm going to adjust my sights to account for it, make it raise higher or lower. You might even improve your eyesight. So maybe you need some better contacts or glasses. Or maybe there's some wind that's blowing. Left or right, up or down. And you say, I'm going to correct for it. Or maybe you even need better arrows to sharpen them or, or ones that are straighter or... You know what I found is the easiest way to hit the target? Instead of shooting right here? You ever done that? Throwing darts? Just run up there and put it right in the center. I mean, hit the target that way. Right? That's pretty easy to do. And the metaphor following Jesus the target of holiness is Jesus at the bullseye. And he's saying, don't you try to worry about your eyesight. Don't worry about your arrow sharpness. Don't worry about that as much as you worry about getting close to me. Jesus is the target. Take the steps and come right next to him. He's saying, get close to me. I'll put your arrow on the target. And so our holiness is more defined by how we engage Jesus than how we try to avoid sin. What I mean by that, you have heard me and others talk about the means of God's grace. The means of grace. Have you heard that before? Anybody give me a nod. It's things like coming to church, like Holy Communion, reading Scripture, praying, Accountability to other people. Those means of grace are like steps closer to God or to Jesus. Right? So when we're struggling to hit the target, when we do those means of grace, it takes us one step closer to God. Attend worship every Sunday. Two steps closer to Jesus. Read the Bible daily. Two steps closer to Jesus. Start or continue on the path to tithing. Two steps closer to Jesus. And the opposite is true. When you ignore the means of grace, or you don't participate in, it's like you're backing up. Right? Miss a month of worship and you're like, man, I just don't feel close to Jesus. Come back and be a part of those means of grace. Miss prayer and you're stepping away from Jesus. 
the target's like, man, it's harder to see, it's harder to hit. And Jesus is like, just follow me. Engage the means of grace. Whenever you do that, whenever you fully trust Jesus, it's like you just are walking up here, standing next to the target, and there's Jesus, and you're like, here, here's my arrow, and he's putting it right in the middle. Methodist tradition has a term for that. We call it entire sanctification. It says you fully trust Jesus and you give him everything. Everything. Every decision, every step, everything. If he said it, you believe it and you give it to him. When we do that, Jesus, right, putting your arrow on the bullseye. Holy living, immersed in Christ. Number three, holy living, give accountability. Give accountability. Verse 14, the second part says, And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. The best way to keep from indulging or thinking about the evil desires, because you're tempted, right? There's absolutely clarity in the Bible. You're going to be tempted, even when you're perfectly following Jesus. So your temptation isn't sin. Giving into it is sin. But the way you resist that temptation is participating in those means of grace. And the best one, <laughs> at least in the Methodist tradition, is what we call accountable discipleship. Accountable discipleship. And this is hard. Because I think everybody in here is American or been in America for a long time. And there's a kind of independence. You know what I'm talking about? You ain't going to tell me what to do. Right? Or kind of make my own way. Rugged, independent. When you say, do something together with people. Oh. Right? I don't know. The Methodist tradition got this right. It's been a part of our core since the 1700s that says we're going to get together and we're going to give accountability to each other. Now we've messed up at some times where we misunderstood what it says to love fulfills the law. And said, well, anything that we call love is good. And so we've kind of washed away that accountability and there's a movement the Methodist tradition, to make sure we have accountable discipleship. That's at the heart of Scripture. That's at the heart of the Methodist movement. It's at the heart of what I've called or been called to pastor. So I'm not suggesting that we take accountability from someone. Like I go to him and says, no, right? What it says is, you declare, I'm a follower of Jesus. You declare, I want to be on this path. I want to go where Jesus wants me to go. And then you say, hey, I want you to help me be on that path. You give accountability to someone else. You say, holiness is my goal. And I want you to keep check on me. What does that look like? In the Methodist movement early on, they got the band together. <laughs> you ever heard band meetings? 
It's not talking about like our rock and roll band. I think it's talking about like a band of brothers or sisters, excuse me. Rocking arms and we're going to do life together. And so they called it band meetings. They said, we're going to submit to asking each other the hard questions of life. Right, because if I try to take accountability from you, you're going to be like, well, I'm just going to hide it better. Right? Because it's like the principal at school or mama at home. You're like, well, I just hide it. I can get away with it. It's saying, I want you to help investigate my life. Give you accountability where you are looking into my life or asking questions. And Wesley had, John Wesley, who founded the Methodist movement, had some other, but these are modern adaptations. Where you get together weekly with people and say, how is it with your soul? Right? I've said, I'll surrender these questions to you. You'll give them to me and we're going to ask them of each other. What are your struggles and your successes? How is the Spirit and the Scripture speaking into your life? (laughs) Do you have any sin you want to confess? Now, if you got to that one and you're like, whoo, I need to go. (laughs) I want to invite you to consider what that means to give that accountability to someone you trust to say, help me examine my life. Is there any sin I need to confess? Because sin grows in darkness. It's the opposite of plants. Plants need light to grow. Sin needs darkness to grow. Right? And so when we keep it in the dark, when we, when we cover it up, when we hide it from people, it just grows and grows and grows. But whenever we say, here it is, and we let somebody ask us those hard questions, is there any sin you need to confess? If we trust them and we've given them accountability to ask those questions and can confess our sin to one another as the Bible commands, there is no doubt what God can do in your life. But when we, nope, mm-mm. This is my little, it just grows and grows and grows and grows. Final. <laughs> this is a neat one. <laughs> Are there any secrets or hidden things you'd like to share? Uh, I've sort of been skimming a little bit off the company books, my job. I've sort of been like, you know, the secret things in your life. Some of you are like, this is the most foreign thing. I don't know if I want to follow Jesus. <laughs> I'm telling you where the plane's headed, right? If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to pursue a life of holiness, you've got to address the things that you're hiding, that you're unrepentant in, and you're holding on to, that you're rebelling against God, and give, find somebody. You can have that relationship where you can have those questions before you. So it doesn't grow and take over your life and you are no longer set apart for God's purposes. But rather, you've succumbed. A dream of a church where all the people are willing to give accountability to one another. And when someone does that, as a member of our church, we follow up and ask each other those questions lovingly towards restoration, towards repentance, towards Holiness. Church, how is it with your soul? Holy living, give accountability. Let's pray.
we worship through communion. God, thank you so much for the blessing of Jesus. Thank you for the, the law, the law of love. God, in your people, in us, I pray that you bring about holy living. God, search our hearts where we have sin. Bring us to getting rid of it. God, where we've tried to forego sin on our own, bring us to the means of your grace that we would draw closer and closer and closer to you. Where the target is just giving our arrows to you. God, help us to do that. Accountable relationships. We give that to someone. We say, help me search. Gotta pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and resurrected name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love for you to visit us in person at 8.45 a.m. for modern worship or at 11 a.m. for traditional worship. If you would like to plan a visit, simply text the word CONNECT to the number 205-772-4906 and you'll be sent a link to get you started. Thanks again, and God bless.